and it's the beginning of the epistle to the Hebrews. Chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he has made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. And so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God say at any time, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about his son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never, never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? The second reading can be found on page 1085, and it's, um, chap it's John chapter 17, 23 and 24. In them, and, in, and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. 
Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It'd be great if you would keep John chapter 17 open before you. We're going to work through uh, a little bit of John's gospel together. But before I do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to uh, look at your prayer once again, would we hear your voice and be shaped and changed by it this morning. For your glory's sake we pray. Amen. Well, today I want us to think about what it is to be wanted. Now, not with a bounty out for our head or for our life, but knowing the joy and comfort of being wanted by someone else and the emotion that that stirs within us. What do I mean? So, uh, in family life, being cherished and valued just because you're part of the family, a son or a daughter, a mother or a father, a brother or a sister. That makes us feel special and joyful and safe. And hopefully that model of church family um, is the wider application of what family life looks like. We're to love and value and to cherish one another and feel wanted here too. Perhaps in the workplace you know what it's like to be a valued member of a team and to be wanted uh, uh, at your work. Or for those who found love and are married, the deep sense of joy as another person declares their love for you in the exchange of vows and rings. A love which says, you're the one for me to the exclusion of everybody else on the planet. It's a joy to feel wanted by someone else. But on the flip side, to be unwanted in any of those areas can bring real sorrow and a real heaviness to the heart. And in a room this size, I'm sure some of us have felt the pain of being unwanted. Maybe an unwanted child, pushed aside in family life or in wider church family life, or being excluded from a friendship or a friendship group, or being victimised in the workplace or at school. Well, we're looking at the last section of Jesus' prayer uh, for his disciples. And as we kind of finish looking off uh, this prayer next week, today, hopefully, you're going to be really encouraged by Jesus' final petition in what this prayer has to say. The clock is ticking in Jesus' earthly life. And the shadow of the cross is looming. He's about to leave the world and his followers behind. And his primary concern is not for himself or for the horror which is to come, but his concern is for his people. And he makes time for his people to pray for them and to pray for us. And I think what we have here in verse 24 is probably the most important message that the church today can take on board and that's this Jesus wants his people Jesus wants his people if you're a Christian if you've placed your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ then he not only loves you 
Nor does he just like you, but he wants you. Jesus wants you. It's such a message of comfort for us in verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me. Why does he want me? I hear you say from the back. Well, the answer to that is found in these verses. For the Christian believer this morning, you are a gift from the Father to the Son. And not only that, you're a wanted gift. You are being given to Jesus. You're the most precious gift from a heavenly Father to the divine Son. It's uh, my daughter's birthday on Tuesday. She's turning 11 on Tuesday. And Mel and I have been racking our brains. What is it that we're going to buy for Maya this year to tell her that we love her? And we delight to give our children good gifts, don't we? We like to give good gifts. And we want to give Maya the best possible gift we can afford this year. And do you know what? You are the best possible gift God the Father could give to God the Son. You're that valuable to God. And that's incredible. Have a look at verse 2 with me. For you, Father, granted him, the Son, authority over all people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. All those you have given him. Get this. As you are given to the Son, what does the Son give you? It's there in that verse. He gives you eternal life. Perhaps you've only thought through the Christian perspective from your point of view before. What it is that I get out of being a Christian. But do you know what? We need to consider it from the other way around. It's far more important. What is Jesus' inheritance from his father? The father who says, this is my son who I love with him. I'm well pleased. The father gives the son the gift you and I. You're wanted by the one who has absolutely everything. Well, the question then becomes, how do I know that I've been given to the Son? Look at verse 20 of John chapter 7. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. Well, who is the them alone? That's Jesus' followers who are with him during his earthly ministry. He says, I'm not praying for them alone. I also, I pray also for those who will believe, that's future tense, who will believe in me through their message. How do you know if you belong to the Son? You believe in his words. You believe in him. Jesus is praying for Christians in all places and at all times and everywhere. Christians who believe the testimony of the early disciples recorded in the Gospels. And what's their message? Well, it's a dominant theme that goes all the way through John's Gospel. We're going to do a bit of flicking through John's Gospel. So if you turn to John chapter 1 with me in your Bibles, and keep one finger in John 17, because we'll come back there. John chapter 1 and verse 7. Verse 7, John the baptizer, he came as a witness to testify concerning that light, the light being Jesus, so that through him all men might believe. Verse 12, yet to all who received him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Probably the most famous verse in John's gospel is found in John chapter 3. Why don't you turn there with me? John chapter 3 
and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Look at the last verse in John chapter 3, verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Believe, believe, believers, all the way through John's gospel. Let's flick forward to John 14. John 14 and verse 1. Jesus comforts his disciples and says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. That word trust and believe come from the same root word. Believe in me. Trust in God. Verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me, so that you may also, so that you also may be where I am. Jesus says he's going away for a while. He's going to prepare a place for you and for me, and he's going to come back and take us to be with him. And this is the amazing news of the of the Bible, isn't it? That God the Son came precisely so that he might suffer and die in place of his people. And by believing in him, you're credited with life into your account by believing in his name. So the primary application of this verse becomes very apparent to us straight away. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe in the one who is more concerned to pray for you when he's facing his own death than to be thinking about himself. Do you believe that the one who has all things, actually, he wants you? He wants you. Well, this is the second thing. Look back with me at John 17 that we're going to see from this text. Jesus wants his people to be with him. Verse 24. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. Can a minister of the gospel say anything more comfortable to your soul than this? As a Christian, you and I have been chosen by God. You are God's chosen people. Is there anything more glorious and more wonderful for you to hear this morning and to be comforted by this morning? For you and I are in the special interest of God. We occupy his thoughts and his prayers. He knew that you were his before he even created the world. Isn't that incredible? Before he even laid a a kind of block in creation, before Adam and Eve even came into existence, God chose you and appointed you. If you look back in John 15 verse 16, we read there, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, to someone here today apprehensive of the love of God, unsure if you're okay with your maker, well, would this text bring comfort to you this morning and peace in the face of your anxiety? 
Every single one of us, the Bible says, has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now we know that. Everyone sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 says, there's no one who seeks God. No one. No one who's right before God. All have turned uh, away. No one understands. We're all outside of God's life and God's love by nature. And yet, God sent his son into the world on a rescue mission to come and find you and to come and find me. And everything that Jesus did while he was in the world, he did that for you, to bring you and I back into a relationship with the one who created us and gave us life. And so Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 4, Father, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Where do I look to see that God really wants me to be with him? Where do you look? We look to the cross. We look to the finished work of Jesus. There we see the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever seen. The love of the Son in obedience to his Father who went to the cross for us. So that you and I would be rescued from hell for heaven through the cross. It's amazing. It's amazing good news. So that you'd see the full extent of God's love for you. So that you would experience the fullness of joy that it brings to be in relationship with God as he gives you newness of life as you know you've been given eternal life, so that you would be fit to stand before him in his presence for all eternity. John chapter 17, verse 8. Jesus says, I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. Have you accepted Jesus' words? They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. What's this sermon all about? Isaiah, in uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, wrote this. 700 years before Jesus was born. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to her and proclaim to her her sin has been paid for. Isn't that incredible? Comfort. Comfort my people. So that Jesus' people will see Jesus' glory. That's my third point from this text. Jesus wants his people to see his glory. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In a way, that's already been fulfilled. It's now already. Flick back with me again to John chapter 1. Sorry I'm making you do this hard work. John chapter 1 and verse 14. John chapter 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. We have seen his glory. Flick on to John chapter 2 and verse 11, the next page. 
Not only is this so, but we see Jesus' glory through the miraculous signs and wonders that he performed. Verse 11. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee, turning water into wine. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. We see Jesus' glory. The disciples saw his glory. It's witnessed by the miracles. And supremely, we see Jesus' glory at the cross as he dies in our place on the cross and in his resurrection as he proves that there is life after death, as he's dealt with sin and death and hell and Satan and he's victorious for us. And yet also this glory is not yet. We're still waiting to see Jesus' glory. The glory that we'll see as Jesus brings in his kingdom fully and finally. One day, we will witness Jesus' kingdom coming in all its unveiled splendor and glory. And that'll be amazing. A little bit like the bride on the wedding day. As she walks down the aisle to the bridal march and and comes to the front of the church, and as the veil is taken back, the, the groom gets to see the bride in all her splendor and all her glory. So it will be for us when Jesus returns, we will see his glory. What we enjoy now is like the the kind of dripping tap of God's glory, the constant drip, drip, drip of God's glory. We've had a problem with our kitchen tap for a a number of weeks and just had our tap replaced. But it's constantly dripping. Day and night, the tap was dripping. It's now been fixed. Um, But just like that image of a dripping tap, we experience Jesus' glory and his love for us as we gather together as a church family as we read his word, as we pray and have our prayers answered by Jesus, we experience his love and his glory. But on the last day, when we come face to face with Jesus, it's like we're going to stand underneath the full waterfall, the full torrent of God's love and God's glory as we're consumed in his presence with the love and glory of God. It's going to be amazing on that last day. We experience his glory now like a dripping tap. But we're going to experience his glory face to face as physically we're with Jesus for all eternity. That's going to be amazing. On the last day when Jesus appears, 1 John chapter 3 verse 2 puts it like this. We shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. The glory of Christ which you and I will see is Jesus' full glory as God. The glory he enjoyed with his father before his rescue mission on earth. So what does this mean for you as you leave here this morning? Well, no matter how unwanted anyone could ever make you feel or has ever made you feel in the past. And I know some of you have been made to feel unwanted in this church and we apologise for that. I'm here to say sorry if you feel unwanted this morning. Would you accept our apology for that? But no matter how unwanted you've been made to feel through your life and in the past, when you compare that with the desire that Jesus has for you to know that Jesus wants you, well, that should far outweigh any pain or hardship or sorrow you may have had to experience in the past or you may experience in the future. And if the King of glory wants you, then that's a game changer. That changes absolutely everything. That should revolutionise how we think and how we act towards those who've treated us badly, how we pray for those 
who may have ridiculed us. For the Christian here, I think we should be rightly moved emotionally by what this is saying to us. We should be comforted by what God's done for us through his son on the cross. It should bring a deep sense of gratitude and joy and satisfaction and hope and security and comfort to you. For our ultimate hope and our ultimate comfort, it doesn't rest on how much we love God. It doesn't rest on our great desire to be with him, but on the love the Father has for the Son and and the love the Son has for the Father, shown in his obedience to him. But a word to the non-Christian among us this morning, the one who's keeping Jesus at arm's length, there's no comfort for you this morning, but a prayer. I pray for you that you find no comfort and you have no peace until you find the Prince of Peace and the God of all comfort. Now, uh, you might ask, well, how on earth could I pray such a horrible thing for you? Uh, Well, if that's you, do come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to talk to you more about this. But um, why not come and join the Alpha course that's running on the 27th of September? If you've got questions about the Christian faith, why don't you come and see whether the Christian faith can stack up Uh, under your questions and face your scrutiny uh, of it. Why don't you bring your questions uh, along on the 27th of September uh, as the new course uh, starts. But for those of you who are trusting in Jesus, there could not be a better message for you to hear this morning. Comfort. Comfort my people. Let's pray. Lord God, as we consider what you have done in sending your son to the earth to die for us, to rescue us, to make us your people, uh, would you comfort us this morning? Would we know that peace that passes all understanding? And would you guard us and keep us for that great day when we will see you face to face? For your glory we pray. Amen.